In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the feast of the wedding of Cana of Galilee. Many happy returns. Um, today we celebrate the miracle that Christ did uh, when he went to uh, this wedding, uh, where he turned the water into wine when they had run out of, of wine. And one of the important things we learn from this uh, feast is that Christ blesses marriage through his attendance of marriage. So when Christ accepted to be, um, to be an invited and to go and to attend this marriage, it shows us how Christ is accepting and encouraging the idea of marriage. It says in John 2, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And actually we also know that St. Mary was invited and she was there as well. And so I want to speak briefly about uh, marriage and the sanctity of marriage and, and what harmonious marriage is supposed to look like. Um, we read in the morning doxology, <coughs> those whom the Holy Spirit has attuned together <coughs> as a stringed instrument, always blessing God by psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, by day and by night with an incessant heart. This gives us a sense of the type of unity and harmony that we are supposed to have as the body of Christ, but specifically also in marriage, because two people that are married are supposed to be living like a stringed instrument, attuned, harmonious. Maybe this feels different than what we are used to in our relationships and our marriages. Maybe our marriages are more categorized by conflict and disagreements. But this is what God is intending for us to be in marriage, this stringed instrument that is attuned together. So I'm going to read a short passage from something that Tertullian, who is one of the scholars of the church, has said about marriage. And then I'm going to go through it briefly and talk about each individual point that he mentioned. And again, our goal is that we want to have this kind of a harmony. We want to reach this kind of harmony in our, our marriages and our relationships. He says, How beautiful then the marriage of two Christians, two who are in one hope, one in desire, one in the way of life they follow, one in the religion they practice. They are as brother and sister, both servants of the same master. Nothing divides them, either in flesh or in spirit. They are in very truth two in one flesh, and where there is but one flesh, there is also but one spirit. This is the unity that Tertullian is speaking about marriage. So what is he saying? What are some of these characteristics of a harmonious marriage? First, he says that they are one in hope. They're united together as one in hope, meaning they have the same goal. They have the same hope in life. If you have two people with very different goals, they're going to have conflict. Each person is going to live according to the goal that they have, which is going to lead them down very different paths. But when you have two people that have the same goal, the same hope, which is the resurrection of the dead, which is overcoming sin, which is everlasting life, which is a life with God, then it's going to characterize some way about the way that I live. For instance, because I love God, because I want to be with God, when I sin, when I wrong you, I'm going to want to apologize. I'm going to want to confess. I'm going to feel that, that this is all wrapped up in my salvation. This is not just a personal issue. This is something bigger than me. And that our marriage is something that is bigger than just each of us alone. That God is present. And because of this, we have hope, not only that he can overcome conflict in the marriage, but that he can bring us both to salvation, which is one of the primary purposes of marriage to begin with. It is for the salvation of the people that God sees and chooses that for these two people, the path of their salvation is to be united together so that they support and encourage one another. So for there to be harmony in marriage, the two people have to have the same hope, the same goal. It also says <coughs> uh, that they are uh, one in the way they follow their, their life. 
They have a common sense of purpose. Why are we here? You could have one person who is very career-minded and their whole focus is on career. Or another person who is focusing on uh, obtaining wealth. Or another person who is, his primary desire is being with family. Or another person whose primary desire is going on vacations. Whatever the things that we do, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But what is my sense of purpose? Where does my sense of purpose come from? What is it that I'm thinking? What is filling my mind? Again, what is my hope? What is my goal? And, and, and where, where is it taking me? He also says one in the religion they practice. <clears throat> one of the big conflicts that can happen is in marriage is when the two people don't have the same faith. And that can apply in more than one way. Obviously, if you, you have two people that are married of different religions, that's going to be a big source of conflict, especially when they have children, because now how are we going to raise the children if we believe in different things? But apart from actually having different religions, it also manifests itself because you might have one person who wants to go to church regularly, wants to attend Bible studies, wants to pray, wants to be doing things uh, in the church, and you have another person who maybe is not so interested in that. And so again, it causes separation. It causes isolation and it causes conflict, okay? So, so the faith that we profess should be the same both in belief and in action, meaning both people should be wanting the same. Both people should want to come to church. Both people should want to pray, even at home. When you have one person wanting this and one person doesn't, this is, this is a recipe for, for, for discord, okay, and contention, not for harmony, like Tertullian is speaking about. Also, it says that they are as brother and sister, both servants of the master, meaning they are both humble before God, and they both want to serve God. In what, in what way can I serve God? One person has one set of talents, and another person has a different set of talents, but our goal and our desire is that we both serve God with whatever it is that we have. Whatever God has given me, I want to serve Him. Sometimes you have situations in marriage where one person wants to serve a lot in the church and they spend a lot of time in church and going on retreats and doing other things in the church, whereas the other person is, again, not so interested in that. So they begin to become upset. You're spending all your time in church. Why are you doing this? Stop doing all of this. So again, it causes discord because the two people don't have the same focus. They don't have the same goal. They don't have the same priorities. They don't have the same sense of what is important. And the person who maybe is not so much into doing those things at church feels jealous. You know, why are you spending all your time doing this and you've neglected me and you neglected the, the kids and, you know, they make it into a, into a situation like that the person choosing to be a servant in the church is somehow destroying their life and, and is neglecting them in every way. Again, this is a recipe for discord. Then he says, nothing divides them either in flesh or in spirit. Okay, meaning they don't allow obstacles or distractions or the fact that they are busy to divide them, right? We are all very busy. We're all very busy. And sometimes we don't have the time to spend with each other as we would like, okay? But we can still be united together with one sense of purpose. We can be united together understanding our relationship and wanting our relationship in marriage to grow, even though we are separated in distance sometimes against our will. But when it is our, in our ability to spend time together, we should. You know, sometimes you have people who, the moment that they get home, they want to be apart. You know, each person is tired, each person maybe has had a long day, and there's even more chores that have to be done. And in the moment, finally, that I have to myself, I just want to spend it by myself. And, and in this sense, sometimes we sacrifice all of the family time that we could have had. We sacrifice the time with our spouse or the time with our kids. And so our relationships do not grow. 
our relationship ends up being only one of chores. You know, who's doing what? And let's make sure as long as all the chores are done in the house, and then we've managed the house. But where is the joy of the relationship? Where is the communication? Where is the spending time together? Because without that, there will be no harmony. There will be no harmony. It will be like just two roommates living together, managing the chores, and, and that's it. That's the entire relationship. So over time um, in marriage, as the people get older and as they get married for a longer period of time, these issues begin to creep in because that initial honeymoon phase is over. When we have to be very disciplined and purposeful in the way that we um, communicate and the way that we uh, lead ourselves. It says in Genesis 2.22, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. This is the unity that God... Um, you know, this is the unity that God wants for us, that he's actually made us from one another. He's taken the, the woman and made her out of the man. Okay, so, so these are some characteristics, okay, of, um, of a harmonious marriage. They are one in hope, one in desire, one in the way they follow, their, they, they, the way of life they follow, one in their religion, they live as brother and sister, nothing divides them, okay? So he goes on, Tertullian, he goes on to speak about um, some other things, meaning some of the actions that they take, not just the characteristics that they have, but some of the actions that they take. He says, they pray together, they worship together, they fast together, instructing one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. Side by side, they visit God's church and partake of God's banquet. Side by side, they face difficulties and persecution, share their consolations. They have no secrets from one another. They never shun each other's company. They never bring sorrow to each other's hearts. Unembarrassed, they visit the sick and assist the needy. They give alms without anxiety. They attend the sacrifice without difficulty. They perform their daily exercises of piety without hindrance. They need not be furtive about making the sign of the cross, nor timorous in greeting the brethren, nor silent in asking a blessing of God. Psalms and hymns they sing to one another, striving to see which one of them will chant more beautifully the praises of their Lord. Hearing and seeing this, Christ rejoices. To such as the, these he gives his peace, where there are two together, there also he is present, and where he is, there the evil one is not. So we ask sometimes when we have discord in our marriages, how is it that we can restore harmony? Well, Tertullian is telling us, here are the things that we need in order to restore harmony. I will go through them quickly. The first he says, pray together. Okay, this is a very basic thing. Do we pray together with our spouses? Do we pray together? This is important. If we don't pray together, then maybe we're going different paths. Maybe we're not on the same page. If you have only one spouse that is praying or no, no one is praying, then it's going to be a very different type of relationship than if both of us pray and we pray together. It's, a, it's, a, it's an activity that unites us and binds us together. They worship together. Okay, So they go to church together. They, they make a point. Going to church together is something important for the whole family, not just for each individual. They fast together. Okay? Again, both have the same focus. Both believe that fasting is important. Both believe that disciplining the self is important. And they believe this is important not just for them individually, but for them in the marriage together, united together. It says they instruct one another. Okay? And this is a difficult one because sometimes when we feel rebuked by our spouse, we're not willing to accept it. Or sometimes we're afraid to rebuke our spouses because of the response that they're, they're going to give us. So there has to be wisdom exercised in, in when it makes sense to instruct, when it makes sense to, to bring up something that maybe the other person is doing or a wrong attitude that they have. 
um, in a wise way, in a gentle way. And we also who are receiving this rebuke should also be willing to accept it, that maybe God is sending me some kind of a message through this person, through my spouse who is speaking to me. They encourage one another. Do we encourage one another? Do we encourage one another? Or are we um, spend most of our, our words that we spend in criticism or in putting down the other person? Strengthening one another. And the idea of, um, of you have two people getting married is that they complement each other in their strengths and weaknesses. If you have two people with the same weaknesses marrying each other, then it's going to become a problem because they're, going to, they're not able to function. Both of them are weak in the same area. And if people are strong in the same area, then a lot of times they will butt heads with one another. Everybody wants to do something that their own way that works for them. But if you have someone with a set of strengths that mats an, another person with a set of weaknesses, then they will complement one another. Okay? They will be able to uh, they will be able to strengthen one another. That one person's strengths will cover the weaknesses of the other, and and vice versa. So it's important that when people are choosing a spouse, that they find someone that complements them. Doesn't necessarily have to have all the same characteristics, but someone who is weak in the areas where I am strong. He says, side by side, they visit God's church and partake of God's banquet. Again, everything that we're talking about is done in the context of the church and partaking of the Eucharist and the sacraments. The Eucharist is the source of oneness for married couples. If people are trying to manage their marriage on their own without coming to church and without partaking of the Eucharist, then they're doing things apart from the power of God in them. They're trying to resolve things on their own. But here it says specifically, side by side they visit God's church. It's important that both people come to the church and they will find a solution to their problems and they will find harmony uh, in partaking of the body of Christ together. Side by side they face difficulties and persecutions and share consolations, meaning they endure hardship together. One person's problem is the other person's problem. They try to resolve things together. They support one another in the problems that they have. And this is one of the things that makes marriage difficult, because when you marry someone, you are marrying them, including all the problems, all the financial problems, all the emotional problems, all the health problems, whatever problems that they have are now your problems. So whatever problems that I came in with, now after I get married, I have another set of problems that I have to manage wisely, and that I have to deal with carefully, and that I have to support this person in the weaknesses and in the issues that they have. So choose carefully, because this is going to become you. You and this person are one. They have no secrets from one another. Okay? So they are transparent and open in communication. One other poison that happens in marriages is keeping secrets from one another. When I do not feel transparent with my spouse, when I feel like there are some things I cannot share with them, that I hide from them, this is going to destroy my marriage. Because eventually, I'm going to feel like I cannot trust this person. Or eventually, that person is going to feel that I cannot trust them. And it's going to separate us more and more and more from one another. Um, one thing that I notice sometimes people do, younger people that marry here, is they like to have separate bank accounts. This is an example of not being transparent. This is an example of not trusting. This is an example of having disunity. Okay? Maybe I'm used to having my money and they're used to having their money and maybe we both have good jobs and we're professionals and each of us you know, has salary our own. Actually, this is not your money anymore. This is our money. Okay? If you want someone to marry, choose someone who can manage the money wisely because they're going to own everything you own and you're going to own everything they own. Okay? This is a part of transparency and open communication not hiding okay also part of this open communication is admitting when we are wrong 
we will be wrong. We will make mistakes. I have to admit this. If I go through my whole marriage not admitting that I'm wrong about anything and just wanting to prove that I'm the one that's always right, this is going to cause a problem. This is how Adam and Eve were in the garden. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were open, they were transparent. The communication was easy with Adam and Eve in the garden because there was no shame, there was no separation between them yet. They never shun each other's company, meaning they want to spend time together. They enjoy spending time together. They feel that spending time together is something valuable and good. They don't just try to escape from one another. Sometimes when couples do not want to spend time with one another, it's because the way they communicate with each other is destructive. They know that if they spend time, if they talk a lot with one another, that one person is going to say something or do something or bring up something that is going to annoy and bother the other person and hurt them. And that's why they want to be separate. Again, yeah, so we have to be very careful about our communication. If we want harmony in our marriages, we have to use, you choose our words wisely. We have to you know, not want to harm one another. We have to be careful in what we say. And there should be sacred times with our spouse where we don't bring up any kind of problems. I was reading this actually in a book. You know, a lot of times, yes, we have open communication and we talk, which a lot of times will bring up problems and issues. You know, why did you do this? Why didn't this happen? I'm upset about this or, okay, which is fine. But there should be some sacred time where we have an agreement that during this time, we are not going to bring up anything negative. During this time, all we're going to do, we're going to go out, we do something fun, that we enjoy each other's company with nothing negative, no criticisms, no rebuke, no complaints, no blaming, so that we begin to establish kind of this, this time where we can know that we're going to enjoy it and we look forward to it and we know that there's not going to be any kind of negative conversation that happens during that time. Never bring sorrow to each other's hearts. <coughs> we want to be a, a source of joy for our spouses. We don't want to be a source of sorrow. Okay, but unfortunately, many times we are. We are sources of sorrow. So we want at least to set our goal. My goal is I want to be a source of joy. I want to be a source of joy. Um, and he goes on about giving alms without anxiety. Okay, We're serving together. We're giving. For instance, again, if you have two people that are not on the same wavelength as tithing, okay, one person is comfortable with tithing, another person is not comfortable with tithing. Maybe they never got used to tithing. Maybe they've never done it before. Again, this is an important issue because it's going to come up and it's going to um, be a problem. One thing that sometimes people fail to do before they get married is they fail to interview the person that they're about to marry. Sometimes we get caught up in the emotions of being with someone that we really enjoy being with and we feel that everything is natural and good and we just go with it. Okay, The process of courting before marriage should be a kind of a job interview in some sense. You need to have a bunch of questions that you want answers to and you get those answers. Because unless you get those answers, you don't know what you're getting into. And you need to be very specific and detailed. It's like, well, how do you feel about tithing? How do you feel about going to church? How do you feel about serving? How do you feel about whatever? Okay, Because you need to really know this person that you're going to marry so that you can do things on the same level without, without anxiety and without um, being upset. They attend the sacrifice without difficulty. They come to church. They're used to doing that. They perform daily exercises of piety. Okay, Meaning they share a spiritual rule. They share in the house a spiritual rule. For instance, they both fast the same. It's not that one person is fasting and another person doesn't fast. And now you have to have to cook two sets of food. This is not harmony. Okay, This is disharmony. Harmony means that we eat together, we do everything together the same. Okay, They're not ashamed of making the sign of the cross. Okay, Meaning they're public in their faith. They're not, they're not afraid to hide 
what it is that they believe. Okay? Um, they're not silent in asking a blessing for God. Okay? They see God as the source of their blessing, not their own effort, not their own cleverness, not their own career. God is the one who is the source. And then he says at the end, psalms and hymns they sing to one another, striving to see which of them will chant more beautifully the praises of the Lord. Trying to imagine that happening actually in a, in a, in a marriage. If, if they compete, they do so in worshiping God, not in trivial matters where we fight about who is right or wrong. Right? It's like, it's like we are so passionate about God that we are just one-upping each other in our praises for God. Like that's, that's, that's how much we, we love God. Okay? It gives us a picture. Now this is maybe an ideal picture. Maybe this picture, no one is ever going to achieve it completely. But it gives us a goal, like a sense of where it is that we want to go. We want to be here. Okay? Like a stringed instrument attuned together. This is what we should be as, mar as a married couple. Attuned attuned, harmonious in, in the way that we deal with each other, in the things that we do. And it could take a lifetime to approach this. This isn't something we're going to have from day one. But it's something that we need to understand and we need to understand that we're not going to have this on day one and that we need to work hard to get it. And this is why marriage is difficult. Marriage is difficult is because you take two people that are each one of them out of tune and now it's hard enough to get each one of us in tune and now we're going to play together and now we're even more out of tune. Okay? So we have to really, really work in order to fix this, in order to bring unity where there might have been discord. So finally, he speaks about the rewards. He says, hearing and seeing this, Christ rejoices. Christ rejoices when he sees that we are trying to improve our marriages, when we are making an effort to improve. And, and, and this is common to everyone. Everyone who is married is going to have conflict. That's just a given. It doesn't mean that the person I'm married to, there's something wrong with them. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have been married. It means that this is what marriage is about. Marriage is about, there's conflict, and that in resolving conflict, we learn how to love. This is what love is about. The feelings that we feel at the beginning of marriage, this is nice, <clears throat> but this is not gonna last. What is the true love that we get out of marriage? It's learning how to live harmoniously despite conflict. This is love. How do we love one another in marriage and to serve one another, even though we are different, even though we have different um, ways of thinking, <clears throat> different personalities, we learn to love one another. To such as these, he gives peace. So he rewards us. <coughs> he rewards us with peace in our homes. And this is actually all that we want. Some people believe that when they have a lot of money or a fancy house or fancy car or whatever, that this is going to bring them joy in their marriage. No, actually... What brings peace in marriage is this harmony that we're talking about. And once we have that peace, this is the most valuable thing you will ever have in your life, is peace. Peace in your home, peace in your family, peace with your children. Because all this, whether harmony or discord, is going to rub off on our kids, and it's going to leave a mark on them that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. There are some people that grew up in families that were harmonious, and you can see it reflected in them when they get married. You can see it reflected in them when, when, when they get older. And you have people who maybe grew up in a family that was full of discord. And I'm not going to say that those people are like scarred, but I will say that it's going to take them more effort in order to overcome. It's going to take them more effort to see even that maybe the, the image of marriage that they saw as when they were growing up, that is not harmony. And that harmony is something else. And that we need to strive for harmony uh, in our marriage. And then he says, where there are two together, there also he is present, and where he is, there evil is not. 
Meaning that through our marriages, through harmony in our marriages, we are actually drawn into a deeper union with Christ. And this is again the point of marriage. Marriage is supposed to draw us into a deeper union with Christ. Marriage is a way of salvation for us, that we learn to sacrifice and we learn to give and we learn to love another person unconditionally. So this is going to bring, draw us closer to God. And this is something that we have to learn and it's a struggle. It's not something that comes easily, but it is a blessing. And so this is um, just briefly today, um, on the feast of the wedding of Cain of Galilee, Christ went and he attended a wedding and he blessed it. And Christ also wants to be with us on our wedding day and he wants to be with us in our homes and all throughout our marriages our entire life, granting us this sense of harmony. But we have to turn to him and both people have to want this. Both people have to want harmony and be willing to work for harmony, not just saying I want harmony and then I do nothing. Both people have to do this, and then through the grace of God, He can change us, He can change our, our marriages, our relationships, and improve things, and help us um, to, to reach salvation through our spouse. And glory be to God forever. Amen.